Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 42. Uh, I want to just start off by saying if you haven't yet listened to my single, The Stranger, released last Friday, January 17th, go listen to it or put it in your queue to listen to right after this podcast. Um, so it's it's my it's my cover of Billy Joel's great song, The Stranger, but arranged all moody and with, you know, typical Emily vibes. And then tucked into the middle of the song is Fleetwood Mac's Little Lies. Don't worry, you guys, I paid for both licenses. Um, But I'm really proud of it. It's the first single in my like, new collection of songs that's going to be rolling out in the next few months here. Um, So yeah, go listen to The Stranger. And you know, if you haven't already, join my mailing list so that you can make sure to stay up to date on stuff. I have some new merch there that I am really excited about and also will be having new stuff coming soon. Um, Yeah, go listen to The Stranger on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Amazon, you know, wherever you listen to things, it'll be there. Um, today's episode is part three of my Dallas series, and today you're going to hear from my old friend Sergio Pamias from college. Um, it was so awesome to catch up with Sergio all those years later, and he's just beautiful and artful, and I loved talking with him and catching up. Um, I'm going to read you a little bit of Sergio's bio, and then you can go and read the whole thing um, on the blog post for this for this episode. Okay. Born in Granada, Spain, Pamias has published four albums under his name. Critics have acknowledged his talent for composition, the lyrical qualities of his playing, and his natural and spontaneous ability to fuse the traditional jazz language and flamenco music of his childhood. Pamias received his bachelor's degree in jazz piano in Barcelona and then moved to the United States to study with Stefan Carlson and complete a master's degree in jazz piano at the University of North Texas, where he was awarded Outstanding Student in 2011. Pamias finished his doctoral studies in jazz piano in 2016. He was the pianist of the seven-time Grammy-nominated One O'Clock Lab Band at UNT, having the opportunity to perform with guest artists such as Bobby McFerrin, Arturo Sandoval, Marvin Stamm, Wycliffe Gordon, Doc Severinsen, and Chuck Finley. As a member of the One O'Clock Rhythm Section, he has accompanied artists such as Christian McBride, Peter Bernstein, Louis Nash, Tim Hagens, and Greg Osby, among others. Pamias is the featured soloist on Rich DeRosa's composition, Neil, which received a Grammy nomination in 2016 for Best Instrumental Composition. Pamias is currently teaching jazz piano, jazz arranging, composition, and leading the small group program at University of Texas in Arlington. All right, you guys, here comes Sergio. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary. And sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. And the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure, but we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. We need deep, meaningful connections, but we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky, and it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Wash Wizard. 
Wash Wizard is a cool little sphere that uses bioceramic technology to wash your clothes. I'm always looking for new eco-friendly products that are also useful and effective, and Wash Wizard definitely checks those boxes. A few months ago, I bought one for our home and we've been loving it, so I reached out to Wash Wizard to ask for a promo code for my listeners. Wash Wizard completely replaces laundry detergent and lasts for 1,500 loads of laundry. It's great for sensitive skin, it eliminates odor, bacteria, and mildew, and it reduces rust and lime buildup in your washing machine. Head to shop.getwashwizard.com and enter promo code ARTIFICE20, that's all caps, A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-2-0, for 20% off your purchase today. Let's get started. So this is, I'm here with Sergio. This is my last interview in Dallas. I did, I did three interviews yesterday mm-hmm. and then I got very tired because uh, it's long, they're long interviews. Yeah, I, I three. know. And then I did one on um, Thursday night too. So I'm really excited. I, I'm ending on, I'm ending on an interview with a friend, which feels easy, easier than a stranger. <laughs> so nice. I'm excited to talk to you. Who, who did your interview? Um, on Thursday night, I interviewed a chef, um, Jose Meza from Mexico City. Um, he was awesome. I loved talking with him. And then yesterday, um, yesterday morning, I interviewed my uncle Jonathan, who's a graphic designer mm-hmm. um, that I'm I'm staying with my my dad's brother's husband. Um, he's a great graphic designer. And then I interviewed, you know, did you ever know Shannon Camacho? No. She she was at North Texas. Like, I don't th- know that she was there the same time as you, but she's like a singer-songwriter. Okay. So I interviewed her yesterday, and then last night I interviewed a fashion designer, Michael Cricker. Wow. Yeah, so it was a busy day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm excited. Today's easy. So after my interview with you, I'm going to go and play with my little cousins for the rest of the day. Nice. <laughs> so it'll be fun. Um, so I like to talk with people about, like, their art backgrounds and kind of just philosophize about art. So I usually start by asking people what they were like as a creative child. Like mm-hmm. how did you, what kind of creative stuff were you doing when you were little? Well, um, I think the creativity in my case comes from my, from my dad's family. Um, I'm coming from a family of writers. So my, my grand grandfather was a writer. My grandmother was a writer and my father was not a writer, but he was a comic drawer. Oh, cool. So he would create his own stories and, and uh, draw uh, comics. Yeah. So well, when I, that, w- that was w- when I was a kid, like two or three years. That was my dad's profession. Wow, yeah. yeah. So I was surrounded by, you know, pictures at home and, yeah. and drawings. Creativity all over the place. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my, you know, my first influence was my dad just drawing so yeah. I, I love to draw and my dad is a um, he's a huge jazz fan like he's a record collector yeah. he has all the great recordings that, yeah. that we study in jazz and everything so I was just surrounded by music at home yeah. and you know his drawings and everything so I was I think a very creative child and I think um, part of that is that I was an only child mm. So then you don't have a brother or sister right. you to... You have to be creative. Yeah, yeah, to play with. So you have to imagine all these different things. And yeah. I think that encouraged a lot my imagination. And I yeah. think that's very closely related to to kind art. How, yeah, how you... I think so too. Um, I want to ask, what kind of writing were your grandmother and 
I forgot who else was just my grandmother's father. Okay, yeah. He was not like a formal writer because you know it, it was back then there was a war in Spain and everything, mm -hmm. but he had that um, vocation. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and he published uh, I think he published one one book together with my grandmother wow. later in his career. So that was, was the started novels. Yeah, my grand yeah. my grandmother was was a writer. She couldn't publish when she was also in exile because yeah. because of the Spanish Civil War. But when she started publishing, she was very very prolific. So I think by the end of her career, she published like sixty uh, five novels. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And so, my sorry, my my father's brother, uh, yeah. also uh, you know uh, the son of my grandmother, he is a writer in you know actually, yeah. and also novels. Like yeah. Fiction. No, he likes to publish like shorter tales, short stories, short cool. stories. So yeah. he he publishes a book about every year with wow. maybe nine to ten different short stories. That's amazing. So you have like a whole family of artists and creatives. Yeah, on my on my dad's on side. On your dad's side. Yes. And then yeah, your so your dad was like writing stories and then drawing comics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's that's so cool. I always my my parents are not creatives. They're they're not artists, and I always wonder what it would be like mm -hmm. to be a creative child growing up, like in a creative home. Mm -hmm. um, so when you started first started like doing creative things, what what kind of stuff were you doing? I was drawing my own comics too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I saw my dad doing that. So and and then I read thousands of them because my yeah. dad had this huge collection. So I was doing that and designing my own customs. You know, like yeah. some people go and buy them, but I like to to do yeah. my own. Were you like sewing too, like making no, them, or not just that designing much. and then? Yeah, the, I would find another ways, like I stop staples, Staple, stuff yeah. like that. Um, then when I was, uh, I think when I was nine, I started being interested in music yeah. because my dad played. He plays guitar by ear. Okay. So. You know, I just got curious and, and I asked them to, I asked my parents to buy a little keyboard for me. Yeah. And then I started playing by myself by ear. Yeah. And then they decided to, you know, to get me into the conservatory and do formal training. Yeah. So when I was nine or 10, I started writing my own songs. Wow. So I didn't know much about piano, but I would, you know, I started using a computer notation program, yeah. one of the first ones. Yeah. I don't even remember the name of that. But my dad showed me how to do that. Yeah. And then I started it was easier for me to to try to compose on the on the computer yeah. than on the piano. Yeah. Because I didn't have much of like facility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um when you started composing, did you, did you feel you know, I, I talked to a lot of young people who they think like, Well, I don't know how to write songs. Like I you know, mm -hmm. how so how did you feel like confident to, to start trying. I think because I had all this information in my head, you know, after of years of listening, listening to yeah. music. So, for example, I didn't have the dexterity to go to the piano and find these things, but I would write the notes on the yeah. on the computer program, listen back. That was the key. Right, right. I yeah. would listen and fix notes and move them up a half step and down. Yeah. And... I still remember some of the stuff I did and my dad, you know, he would just laugh and, and he was like, yeah, it sounds like Keith Jarrett. And <laughs> yeah. not the Keith Jarrett that we know, you know, these days playing standards, yeah. but Keith Jarrett back in the in the 80s or 90s yeah. that he would play more avant-garde stuff. Yeah. So it was kind of avant-garde. Yeah. But, you know, I had, you know, now that I remember what I was doing, 
I think I was just using, you know, there is no, you know, theory, as Sneezing, people say. Sorry. I was about sorry. to sneeze. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> theory comes after after practice, right? Yeah. So that means that you develop your ear and then theory kind of helps you to explain these things that you hear, these, you know, right. these, yeah, it gives these you like functions. A tools. And, yeah, yes. Language. So I think I had that. I had the the music in my head and yeah. I was trying to, to, to figure that out. Figure out how to write it. Yeah. What kind of stuff were you listening to mostly? Like, do you remember like what like what music was, you know, sparking your brain? Yeah, um, my dad was playing at home uh, mostly jazz, but he would also play uh, Cuban music, Brazilian music a lot. Yeah, and flamenco, of course, because that was the music that we liked from Spain. Yeah, you know, there are many different types of music in Spain, but flamenco is the one that really. You know, it's very special for us, yeah. especially where I am from in the south of Spain. Yeah. But the music that really um, got my attention back then was Cuban music for yeah. some reason. Just probably the rhythm. The I rhythm, think. yeah. Yeah. I think I can relate to that. When I was growing up, we didn't, my parents didn't listen to a lot of music. They were listening to, like, my parents are both, um, they were teenagers in the 80s. They're, mm-hmm. they're young. And, so we listened to a lot of like Michael Jackson, like Earth, Wind and Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I would hear things that had that like 16th note subdivision, mm-hmm. it it just like I couldn't stop listening to it. Uh-huh. Just having that kind of more complicated rhythm. But I didn't listen to I didn't even know anything about jazz until I was like 17. <laughs> there was just no jazz in my in my childhood. So yeah, it's cool that you had uh, but, that exposure. But you are early. right. You know, I think it's rhythm that calls our, our attention yeah. first. And yeah, flamenco music called my attention because of the rhythmic part as well. There is a lot yeah. of odd meter patterns and stuff. Yeah. And also I remembered uh, I really liked back then Thelonious Monk. Yeah. Because his music is developed rhythmically. Yeah. So I remember being at home and I would hear all these Thelonious Monk songs and I would learn them. Yeah, and you know my my dad was playing also Duke Ellington, and for yeah. example, that you know I enjoyed, but I couldn't sing anything back. Right. Yeah. And with with Monk, you know, my dad would ask me, "Hey, how is that? You know, by yeah," and I would yeah. sing it. Yeah. Um, I I learned the titles, and I also remember, you know, since my dad was very clever because since he knew that I liked drawing, yeah, one of the things that he would do to to keep me busy is uh, he would give me an LP, a jazz yeah. LP, and he would ask me to, to draw the cover. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I remember making, you know, drawings of uh, Willie the Lion Smith or yeah. something like that. You know, they had these, you know, unique faces and the clothes yeah. and everything. Or I would draw like a, you know, Thelonious Monk cover, like solo piano in yeah. San Francisco. And then I would just... Draw like the whole, yeah. the piano and stuff yeah. in the cover. And the the thing is... Then I would listen to that album while yeah. I was doing that. Right. So yeah. that was a good training for me. Yeah, it's kind of you're like a like a like a, a study. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you're you're kind of looking, feeling, like listening all at once. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you started to get, so w- when did you start at the conservatory? Uh, when I was nine years. And that's like right around the time you started composing too. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe I was ten when I started writing stuff, or a something little bit like after. Mm-hmm. So, what what um what was your experience like at the conservatory? Like, I think maybe I'm wondering what it felt like. Like, was it competitive? Like, were they nurturing to you? Like, 
How how was it that um, way? It wasn't competitive, no. Uh, but it was very, very, very demanding. Yeah. Um, so that has changed. You know, the, there are different, you know, the, the music education in Spain, you know, has been changing. But back then, the first year, you would not even touch the piano. Wow. Which I think for a kid is really really tough hard yeah but i understand the value because what they would do is that they they taught solfege for one yeah. year wow when i say solfege I, i i don't know if i'm translating correctly correctly but i don't mean the do re mi yeah fa sol la ti no they don't do that movable do thing oh but when i mean solfege is that they they taught us how to read music mm. at a very high level when i yeah. tried to remember that i mean they would in one year and we yeah. were all all the kids like were like kids yeah in yeah. one year we were reading in all these different time signatures wow with sharps and flats and we had you know that we had different subjects one was just reading and the other one was s singing yeah so we had to sight sing and right. everything and, and they then did a fixed dough Yeah, yeah, fixed up. That's crazy. It's and with the so Italian say, we say do re mi fa sol la si do. Yeah, and then um, the next year they they add piano to that. Yeah. So when you start playing piano, you can read very good already. Yeah. In different clefs, we already read in in treble clef, bass clef, in uh, tenor clef. Ew. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, then then the, the cool thing is that we could concentrate on piano. Yeah. Without worrying about the right. reading part. You could really listen, mm -hmm. really like worry, you know, yeah, be more musical. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't competitive with my peers. We, yeah. are, we were all kids. And also, you know, the, the kids in Spain that go to the conservatory, you had to go there in the afternoon or night or at mm -hmm. night. So you go to regular school yeah. in the morning, you're super tired and then you have to go there. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's very demanding on the kids. But yeah. we, you know, we were all friends and we were having fun and everything. So not competitive in that aspect, but the teachers but really were difficult. very demanding. Yeah. Like they were teaching us like adult people. That's, I don't remember my yeah. teacher like giving me any like, kind of kid talk or yeah. anything. No, they, they were, were just, yes. I think that's kind of cool. I mean, I imagine that wouldn't be right for some kids but i feel like i would have responded well to mm -hmm. that yeah like ad adults talking to me like a peer mm -hmm. um some kids i think that's probably really great for them yeah yeah I, in my case you know as i said i i am an only child so i was always surrounded by other people yeah. my friends were my parents friends and stuff like right. that so i think that really worked and and i think in europe um The kids tend to mature a little bit, I think, sooner. a little bit sooner than yeah. in, in the U.S. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> But I think it has to do with the lifestyle, too. Like yeah. here, uh, the kids don't don't have much independence because you need your car to get to places. Right. So your parents have to drive you. Yeah. It's it's a very different system. In, in Europe, uh, you can walk on the streets and the kids, you know, I remember going going to school when I was six years old yeah. i was already going by myself yeah i would just have to cross a, a few streets yeah. but i would do by myself yeah. so that you develop some sort of independence yeah. that is it's really good in that aspect uh, you know yeah that's awesome so how how long were you at the conservatory like how many years since i was nine to 17 i think okay so like kind of the rest of your like high school time yeah so i i'd like to talk about like You know, I, I feel for a lot of professional artists, 
all types of mediums, you're not you're not that serious about it until you're a little bit older, but you are serious about it so young. So I'm I think I'm curious like how did that affect like how you saw yourself? Did you feel like I'm going to be a professional musician like you knew right then or not right then, but there's a moment in 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 high school in Spain where you have to decide if you want to do um science or uh, how would you say the like end? arts like arts, liberal arts not um, only arts but for example history or oh. philosophy or that would be humanities yeah humanities humanities yeah. so i i knew that i wanted to do humanities not yeah. not art uh, science but i wasn't sure if i would be a musician or not yeah uh, but at some point you know i started thinking the only thing that i feel really happy about it it's yeah. music yeah so then i the problem for me was that uh, in Spain, nothing offered was kind of fulfilling for me because I could be a mm-hmm. classical musician or I could be a musicologist, yeah. you know, go to university to study musicology. Yeah. But jazz was not offered yeah. back then. But I was lucky because when I was 18 years, um, 18 years old, I went to university to study kind of music education. That would yeah. be, I think that would be the most similar thing in the U.S. And while I was doing that, they created the first jazz wow. program. Yeah. So that was in Barcelona, and I am from Granada in the south of Spain. So I had to move. You know, I was very young, 18 yeah. years old, and I had to move to a, a big capital, yeah. and it was far away. But my, my dad's family uh, is from Barcelona. Okay. So I wasn't, you know, completely on Not my totally own. totally alone. Yeah, yeah, I was living by myself and everything, but I had family. Yeah. And then I started uh, studying jazz. The, the The only thing is that, you know, you said that, that I was serious about, about music from a very young age, and that's true. But in Spain, it's not as competitive as here in the U.S. Mm. And I think that's a problem because you don't develop your your capacities yeah. at the same speed. Yeah. So, for example, all my undergrad in Spain, probably I learned in four years where well, what I, a kid here in the U.S. can learn in one year. Really, and you just think that's because there's just more there's just more people here. Like, I yeah, not only people, but the competition with your peers and everything yeah. is it's you know like the kids here since they're in high school they're competing to each other. They yeah. they have these big band competitions. Yeah, and the all state bands yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah. I don't really know how that I works. Think all state honor band. Uh-huh. Yeah, stuff like that. There yeah. are so many things that that encourage them to get better somehow. Yeah. So I I haven't gone through that, so I don't know if that has also. Some negative aspects. I think it definitely does. Yeah. That's why I was wondering, like, when you were in this, you know, demanding conservatory, like, did you feel nervous or, like, worried or was it just... I mean, I I, I can understand that it was difficult, mm-hmm. but you felt, like, confident and you felt, like, safe. Yeah. I Actually, I didn't... I wasn't never too serious about the conservatory yeah. because I love classical music, but I knew from the very beginning yeah. that that was not going to be yeah, you love my jazz. life career. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't even sure if I could do jazz, Yeah, but I knew that classical was just a learning tool yeah. and not what I, would, what I would do for a living. But yeah, I, I, I can tell that it has negative things. You know, the competition here in the US, yeah. it develops, for example, you know, at UNT... I got. I went to, uh, you know, I went through some experiences that, yeah. you know, I can think of myself 
you know, being affected by the competition. Yeah. But also it really helps you to develop your abilities. Yeah. So I don't know. I think my, my real my real jazz education started when I came to the US. Mm. Okay, let's like catch up to that later. I I think I just have a few more questions about those like teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, just more about kind of like your creativity, like how you're developing your like artistry. So I I I'm sure you know more of that ha- happens later too. But um, how did you feel like your you your creativity was being applied? Like what happened with your composition? Like how are you kind of just exercising that part of your brain? Um. I think the classical training kind of killed my creativity yeah. somehow because yeah. you all only play what's on the page. Right, memorizing. And yeah, and you have to memorize and you get this muscle memory thing and everything. Yeah. So I stopped composing music. Interesting. And yeah. I stopped playing by ear. So that was probably a negative thing about yeah. the classical training because I started playing by ear and that was not a problem. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I couldn't play by ear. Oh, man. That, I, how did you feel? Did it that, felt bad, yes. Yeah. Somehow I, I, I lost a little bit of my passion for music, but yeah. I had so many other passions at the same time that, yeah. you know, that I don't think that was a problem. I think that might be uh, uh, also something that was beneficial for my future because I developed, uh, I continued my passion for drawing. Yeah. And then I started... other creative things. Yeah. I started listening to a lot of uh, different types of music. And for example... I loved Brazilian music yeah. and I remember when I was 16 I thought I need to learn this language because I am listening to all these Brazilian songs and I don't understand the yeah. meaning of the lyrics. So I started learning Portuguese on my own without awesome. without any training just yeah. by asking, you know, my dad is, you know, after the the being a comic drawer he he started studying linguistics because he knew seven languages, I think. Oh my gosh. So he, then he, you know, very fast, I think in five years, he got two different um, bachelors and wow. and he started working as a university professor right after graduation. Oh my gosh. So he knows Portuguese and all, all that. So I would ask him, what does this word mean? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I started connecting the dots. And so I learned a little bit of Portuguese. I learned a lot of Brazilian music, Cuban music, flamenco music. And then I started getting interested into poetry. Yeah. Because, you know, just the, the when you are curious about the lyrics, yeah, then you start getting curious about all these uh, figures that writers use and, yeah. and techniques. So yeah. I started being interested in poetry. And then in Spain, we have a marvelous literature, you know. Yeah. It's very famous all over the world. Yeah. So I started checking famous poets like... Federico García Lorca, Antonio Machado, a lot of writers from Spain. And I started writing my own. I started writing poetry. I started writing lyrics for songs. And then that brought me back to writing music. Yeah. But it was... The the conservatory killed a little bit of your musical creativity. Mm -hmm. And then you got back to it like around... That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, like, when you're working on poetry and you're like thinking about words, does that feel the same in your brain as when you're thinking about music, or does it feel like a little bit different? I think so because I, you know, what I did with poetry is the same thing I do with music. I copied a lot because yeah. that's how I that's have how learned learn. everything in yeah. my life. Also, the drawing, as I told you before, my dad would give me 
a cover with Willie the Lion Smith, yeah. you know, smoking this big cigar, playing piano, like yeah. Harlem Stride in the 20s, yeah. 1920s in New yeah. York. And I would draw that. So that's the way I learned poetry too, just by, you know, reading a lot. And yeah. then I would come up with my own poems. Yeah. And then I figured I'm, you know, these words, I have read them in, in other poems and right. these figures and... Kind of under, starting to understand the structures. Yeah. I think about music like that too. Like, I, I don't. W when I was young, I don't know. I, I, th I think I, I had a lot of creativity, but I didn't have a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. But I, I was always interested in structures, mm -hmm. and I think like I like that about jazz. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a great improviser. And when I'm, I disagree with that. Uh, thank you. I mean, I, I, I feel like I have good like phrasing instincts because again, like I like to think about the structure, but, um, I feel, I feel very weird about improv, but for me, I think when I, when I decided to major in music in jazz, I, I was trying to like, I felt very comfortable with, with the structures, with like the rhythm, um, And I felt like I needed to work on like this other thing. So I think it's interesting to hear like, you know, it's interesting to hear other jazz musicians. I haven't interviewed very many jazz musicians. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's interesting to hear other jazz musicians talk about what was going on in their creative minds mm -hmm. younger. I, I don't know. I think it's so interesting. So I, I love to hear that you were thinking about poetry and kind of like, I don't know, creativity was this like bigger thing and music mm -hmm. is one thing. So is there anything else that you want to say about like how you were kind of developing your artistic voice, like before you went to college? Yeah. I think the last thing I want to add is that, um, sometimes, um, the kids who are involved in any sort of activity like music or poetry or whatever, they always trust their teachers yeah. the most And in my case, it wasn't that way. Like yeah. I didn't care about what my teachers thought about my playing yeah. or my poetry or anything. To me, my mothers were my dad and my grandmother. Yeah. So I remember all my artistic conversations or mentoring. It was my dad. That's so cool. Till the day. Like, I mean, I am a, a doctor in jazz. That yeah. kind of legitimizes me to talk about jazz a little bit, right? Yeah. However, I I still talk to my dad and I yeah. still ask him, what do you think about this? Yeah. What do you think about this arrangement? Oh, that's so great. I and, you know, that. every time I do, I do my my own recordings, I have my, my dad as a co-producer. Really? Be yeah, I want to have his opinion because that's he... amazing. Yeah, because I think we underestimate um, experience, young yeah. people. I mean, yeah, I'm not yeah, that yeah. young anymore, so maybe I'm, I'm breaking that. But I think we... I mean, I've, I've been thinking about this so much lately, like... We're, we're like in the middle of our lives, yes. you know, like we're right. Just have a little perspective, but like not that much yeah. perspective. So that's the thing. Even though I, I could be considered an expert or whatever, because I have the degree, my dad has been listening to jazz for yeah. 50 years yeah. and nothing can replace that, that yeah. kind of knowledge. He knows all the recordings, all the artists, the song titles. He even knows solos by memory. He can that's sing awesome. solos. So I always will ask him, you know, about my my music. Yeah. Opinion. And I did with my grandmother too. Like like I was a kid, like literally like I don't know, ten or eleven years and I would have conversations with my grandmother about um I 
for example, she would take me to watch a movie. Yeah. And it was never like the commercial Hollywood right. type of movie. She would like take a, me to see art some film. Yeah, art yeah. films in Barcelona. There's a big tradition of that. So she would take me to a movie and then we would get home and she would ask me, so what do you think? Yeah. And then yeah. we would start. Yeah. Uh, she was kind of trying to help me with developing my critical thinking. Right. And yeah. my dad and my mom, has, have, they have been doing that for years too. So my dad would ask me, so what do you think? Yeah. We would be eating and in yeah. Spain people eat at the same time that they they have the news on the TV. Okay, yeah. So he would even ask me yeah. about, you know, the things That's that you hear so in the news. That's so valuable. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of, like, what do you remember what kind of subjects you were like, like, do, do you remember what kind of things were like lighting up your brain in terms of just like what what kind of stuff, what themes were you like interested in or... Or subjects. What, what years are you asking? I don't know. Like, I just wondering if you remember, like, what kinds of conversations you liked having with your dad or your grandma. It was, a, yeah, about taste. Like, yeah. like, was this good or not? Yeah. And why? So I developed my, you know, my, not only the critical thinking, but my, my, my own taste yeah, based like on, on artistic that. compass. Yes. That is something that I, that I, I, I like to talk about with artists. I think about it so much as a teacher. I'm sure you do mm -hmm. too. You're teaching students who are a little bit older than most of my students, but you know, what, what do you think about it? How does it, what do you like? What, how mm -hmm. does it make you feel like, um, I, I feel like there's this point that I don't know. I wonder if some of it is like just very culturally American for students to copy and copy and copy and really take a long time to start developing like their own artistic perspective. Mm -hmm. Do you find that? I think it's because they're afraid of copying. Like I, yeah. I think they should copy more or with more conviction. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they copy without knowing why. For yeah. example, in jazz, we ask them to transcribe and yeah. then they would play these phrases by some artists without having a real that. reason. Right. Just that the teacher said, I have to do this. Yeah. And I think you have to copy the stuff that calls your attention. Yeah. The stuff that, you know, that is going to somehow is calling for your attention yeah. because it's part of you and you might not know it. Yeah. But... Um, That's an interesting perspective. Like, you know, trusting um, the instinct of like what demands your mm -hmm. attention like it's it's calling to something yeah. in you i think that's super yeah. important um i think i sorry. think also uh, go ahead no no no. i think also the competitive like i think that prevents a lot of students there when when you're doing so much competition mm -hmm. you you think so much about what someone else is gonna mm -hmm. think about it and you're trying to prepare for like this judge mm-hmm and you stop thinking like, do I like it? Mm -hmm. How does it make me feel? You're not even thinking really about an audience. You're thinking yes. about like a judge. Yeah, about a very small niche. Bad for creativity. Yes, I, I agree. Yeah. You're thinking about, for example, in jazz, if you play for jazz musicians, if you're trying to do stuff to impress your peers, yeah. you're limiting your, yeah. your artistic uh, development to a very small niche yeah. that may, might not be very productive. Uh, yeah, it might not matter ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And and also, I yeah. think, you know, I, I didn't think about this before, so this is why I, yeah. I love these kind of conversations because you think about yeah, new me, stuff. Me too. There is something I was just thinking is that one of the problems with competition is that it gets you interested in other other people's strengths. Yeah. 
because you see someone that is successful because they right. do this certain thing and then you want to do that and maybe that's not part of you maybe right. that's not what you're good at and maybe you don't even need that yeah yeah right and i think as a teacher maybe it's good to identify your students strengths and try to help them to develop yeah. that i think so or especially like what use are all of your skills if you don't have a perspective or you're not you know um having taste like have thinking about mm -hmm. that taste i i try with my students to you know you have you have to also think about their weak spots but if you think about the weak spots in the context of the strengths mm -hmm. they make more sense you, yes. you think like this is your strength let's like integrate the weaknesses like mm -hmm into it instead of like put your focus in this place mm -hmm. that's totally uncomfortable and it doesn't have you know any passion or whatever yeah. so i i really like i like hearing that you were talking with your dad talking with your grandmother you know thinking like wondering like asking questions mm -hmm. um i think a lot of american teenagers don't do that um I see. I don't know if a lot of Spanish teenagers do that, but I'm not it's sure cool either. That you were you doing know, that. My family is it's it's very unique, and I think part of that is that it's a very um, it's a family that has gone through a lot of suffering because you know they were they were separated because of the exile. Yeah. So my my grandmother had four different kids, and one of them was living in russia the other one was living in mexico wow the other one in 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 paris with her so it, it, you know it's a family that i'm not saying that they're special like you know yeah. in you know like superior to anybody no sure. what i say about special is that they really valued the time that they had together yeah because that was not yeah. the um the most common thing in the world right So I think everybody in, in our family, we really know the, how valuable it is to spend yeah. time with each other. So that kind of helped uh, the quality of our time together. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And I think also like just adults talking with, you know, children and, and teenagers about like just their perspective, like mm -hmm. really being curious about like what's going on in your mind. Like, what do you see? What mm -hmm. are you hearing? What do you think? Um, I think that's such important uh, prep work mm -hmm. for like an artistic point of view. Mm -hmm. um, it's crucial. And I feel like sometimes it's so easy to get obsessed with like your skills yes, and not thinking about those kind of other things. So that's awesome. So when you, when you finished um, at the conservatory and finished high school, um, what did, what happened? What did you do? Uh, well, the conservatory in Spain takes years So I didn't finish that. Like okay. I I finished what they call the I cannot even translate it, but um it has three different stages. Yeah. So the first one is when you're, you know, maybe between eight years old and twelve, something like that. Yeah. The middle one goes from twelve to seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. And then you get to the superior stage, yeah. which is the professional degree. So that okay. starts when you're 18 and goes to 22. So that would be like the bachelor. Okay. So that would be like when you go to UNT and do your bachelor's. Okay. Um, so you didn't do that part. I didn't do that part in, in, in the conservatory, in the classical music thing. But then that's when I transferred to jazz. Okay. So yeah. I, I went to the conservatory again, but now I was doing jazz. 
Okay. And you, is it a different school, like a different... Yeah, I had to move to Barcelona. That's right, you And said it that, was yeah. a private school instead of public. So yeah. it really changed a lot. Um, yeah, what was that like? Um, I mean, in terms of like your musicianship, like how did that new environment like affect you or how did it feel? I think it happened again. It killed my creativity yeah. a, a, again. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I started learning a lot of tools and I, you know, I had very good teachers. Yeah. But um, I started losing confidence in my yeah. skills and stuff like that. But it had up and down. So there were some good moments, some yeah. bad moments. But then I, in Barcelona, I, you know, I, I was at least part of a community of great jazz musicians. You know, yeah. the education was at a very early stage. It, as I said, right. I am yeah. the first promotion of students who got a jazz degree. Yeah. But the professional scene, you know, had been there for right. years, yeah. since the 70s or 60s. Yeah. So there were so many good jazz Great musicians community. in that city. So that helped me, you know, to get some inspiration and get a taste of what's a jazz musician's professional life like. Yeah, right. How, how come you felt like you were losing confidence? What, what happened? Uh, because as you say, I think teachers sometimes focus too much on your deficiencies and, and yeah. you know, yeah. and weaknesses. And Well, and that's such a tender age, too, when you're like 17, 18, 19. I talk about this with a lot of artists. It's just, you're, like, your development as just a human is just, it's, fr it's a fragile time mm -hmm. for your confidence, I think. Which, I mean, I think as teachers of people in that age group, we have to be so like careful, mm -hmm. you know, yes, not absolutely. like you got to stay curious about your students, like try to understand like what their strengths are. I don't know. It's just, I think it takes a lot of creativity to, to try not to damage. Yeah. That. And age. you know, I think, you know, no matter what teachers do, I think as artists, we are very vulnerable yeah. And we're going to have these moments no matter what. And I don't think, you know, if you're a teacher, you should blame yourself on that because our responsibility also is to teach them what we think is right for them. And yeah. so, for example, I have some students that I feel bad because sometimes we have very rough lessons because I have to be very honest with them. Yeah. And I am trying to help them with some stuff that they're not good at. Yeah. So... In the future, they might see me as one of these figures that kill their creativity totally, or yeah, whatever. I and I that understand too. that. Yeah. But I am 100% confident that I am helping them somehow. Yeah. And I can look back at my, you know, those years that we're talking now. And there were some teachers that back then I thought they were not helping me. Yeah. And now with the perspective, I know they helped me tremendously. Yeah. So sometimes it's like a, when a police a police officer gives you a ticket yeah you know you curse him or whatever yeah. <laughs> but he's probably teaching you a lesson yeah, like why are you doing yeah. this stupid <laughs> yeah. thing you know i think you're right and i i i feel that way too i often also have le lessons with my students that feel rough where i feel mm -hmm. like i have to say like look here's the reality mm -hmm. but i think even as long as you know that you are being honest mm -hmm. and you know I, as long as you're not you know, feeling jealous or threatened or something yeah. like that's or forcing really, something. Yeah. yeah. Or try, yeah. Trying to force your, your, um, method or you believe in your method or something. Yeah. yeah. Or your taste even. I mean, some mm -hmm. of it, but some things I think it's like, you have to let people be their own. 
Um, mm-hmm. so, some of your taste is, I think you, it's your responsibility to yeah. tell, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. Like if you're, if you are the teacher of a student during a time in their life where they're going through that, they mm-hmm. probably will inevitably see you as mm-hmm. kind of the bad guy. <laughs> the bad guy. Yeah, you know, you said something now very interesting because I, I mentioned this to my students. You, you mentioned the word taste in relation to teaching. Yeah. I don't teach them from my taste ever. Yeah. I try to be very objective. So, for example, when I teach them uh, jazz or combo or whatever, yeah. I never tell them the you know this expression that we hear a lot. Hey, I think in this section you should do, yeah, or I would do, yeah. No, I want I want to teach them the way my grandmother and my father did. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I try to give them models. Yeah. So, for example, in my jazz piano lessons. When I was younger, I used to teach from my own experience and taste and say, hey, here you can do this and you can right. do that. Yeah. And then, you know, that, that was a very immature thing to do. Because yeah. then, then, you know, the, the, their aspiration is to become you. And right. that's a very limited right. thing, right? Yeah. So what I do now, and I have been doing this for, for the past five, six years, whenever I assign them something, a song, for example, I want you to learn the ways of the days of wine and roses, for example. Yeah. I give them at least one recording as an assignment. Yeah. So I say, I want you to learn this song from these two recordings. Yeah. So maybe a vocal version, like Tony Bennett with Bill Evans. Yeah. And then um, some other version that I know they're going to learn a lot from that. Yeah. So they're not just learning one song, which is very stupid, because if you learn one song per lesson, right. you need 20 years to figure out... Right the standards repertoire so i teach them you know i just get them curious about stuff so if i teach and if i assign them the days of wine and roses by oscar peterson yeah they're not just learning that they're gonna learn a style right they're gonna learn a lot of different specific techniques that he does they're gonna get curious about them they're gonna ask me about them and then now you can help them with something that is not just your taste you. yeah. yeah and it's not yeah. about you you're yeah. giving them tools that they might use in different ways yeah. and i think that's that's what i was doing as a kid copying yeah. copying that's what we have been discussing that yeah and i don't know if you know this quote by einstein but it's a very interesting one he says creativity is the art of hiding your sources mm, yeah totally I, I like that a lot yeah. because that you know that makes me feel right about copying right the thing is, it that it cannot be obvious. If right. you go, you know, on stage and play the Days of Wine and Roses like Oscar Peterson, yeah. that might not be very creative. Yeah, I would still appreciate that because yeah. Oscar Peterson is not around anymore. Yeah. you know. So if someone plays in that style, I think that's good too. That's yeah. part of why, you know, the conservatories are called conservatories. Conservar right. in right. Spanish means keep, like save it. Yeah, yes, yeah, save. So. That's cool. But also it's cool to learn some stuff from Oscar Peterson, Keith Jarrett, Bill Evans. And then creativity is the art of hiding your sources. When you do the stuff that you learn from them in a way that people cannot just tell, oh, that's Bill Evans. That's when you start doing something. Really having a voice. Yes. I tell my students the same thing. Like your influence can't be Taylor Swift. It -hmm. needs to be like, you know, 10 things, 15 things. And then when all of those things are combining and they're filtered through you, that is something new. Mm -hmm. But it, but the rest, the ingredients of that recipe Mm -hmm. are, 
you know, these 10 things, these 15 things or whatever. But yeah, I think that's true. Like, so you have to, you have to filter your creativity through lots of study. Mm -hmm. I I agree. My, my brain works the same way. I think every once in a while, some people are just, they're creative in a totally different way. (laughs) Yeah. But, but we never know what's going in the minds of these people. For example, that Jacob Collier. Yeah. I don't listen to to that kind of thing, you know, and, you know, all my students are into that. that. But when I listen to that, you know, that artist, I am amazed. But I don't know what's going on in his mind. Maybe he checked out Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea and Winton Kelly for years and we don't know. That's true. And, you know, I listen to Chick Corea and I try to think, wow, he was doing this in 1966. Yeah. But I know for sure that Chick Corea knew like Winton Kelly, Horace Silver, Bud Powell. So I truly believe that we have to, and also not only to check out all these masters and models, yeah. but the farther you go, you know, there's some kind of connection because it, it gets deeper and deeper. Because yeah. if you check out, for example, Basie Smith, I, sometimes I listen to Basie yeah. Smith, then you're copying someone that other singers later copy, like right. Billie Holiday, blah, blah, right. blah. So you're getting to the, that root like yeah yeah you can turn that influence into something else yeah i think you're right and i i think also you don't know what's going on in people's family Mm -hmm. in their emotional mental health uh just what they're interested in what their personality is Mm -hmm. that combination of things like when when you hear someone like Thelonious monk who seems um so unique Mm -hmm. um you know, that's like these certain influences funneled through like a very unique person. Yeah. yeah. And you can't invent that. You know, mm-hmm. you just, that's why it's so important for creativity to like spend a lot of time thinking critically about like what you feel, what is your perspective? I think, um, mm-hmm. because that, that like ultimate creativity, like, you know, you have to be participating in it and giving something yeah, and and I think sometimes uh, you know you're mentioning Monk and and his personality. I think sometimes creativity you find it in your personal experiences more than in the particular kind of art that yeah. you are. For example, my my worst compositions or arrangements are the ones that I try to do only thinking from a musical perspective. Yeah. But sometimes you have something to say about your personal life and that translates into music and that's when the magic happens. Yeah. So uh, I think one of the things that, that students need to do as well is they need to spend time figuring out themselves, yeah. their personalities. Because when you're in school, in these kind of systems, they're overwhelmed and they're so busy yeah. with their studies that they, they don't have time to... Yeah, to think or talk yeah. or really reflect. And, yeah. you know, my learning process has been kind of slow, I think, compared to the students in the U.S. But I had time to do all these things in my personal life yeah. that I don't think students here have the chance to. Yeah. When I moved to Barcelona, I didn't study much jazz. You know, I was a little bit lazy, but yeah. I was doing <laughs> stuff that I think it was important to. Yeah. So when I say personal stuff, I don't mean just going partying and drinking, but I discovered many things that were important in my music later on. For example, from a very young age, I was very interested in a particular um, topic in our society, which is immigration. Mm. So in Spain, um, in the 2000s, 
the economy was strong. And we had a lot of immigrants from Latin America, especially, mm. because they know the language. So if right. you have to migrate to another country, right, I yeah. think a very important thing is to go to a country where you speak the language, right? Yeah. So I started becoming friends with Cuban people, yeah. um, people from other cultures. Yeah. Even in Spain, we, you, you know, we have a different ethnicity called gypsies, right? Yeah. So I, when I was 13, I started making friends with some of these gypsies because I was interested about flamenco music. Yeah. And I realized I'm never going to be able to understand right. this music if I don't understand the culture right. behind yeah. it. So flamenco doesn't belong only to the gypsies, but they are a very important part of that. Yeah. So I, I wanted to understand that. Then I started making Cuban friends and I wanted to understand right. them. Yeah. Then Brazilian people. Totally. Then I moved to Barcelona and I met... Mexicans. Yeah. Then I traveled to Mexico. I met these close friends that wow. I, I would go visit. Yeah. And, you know, I started traveling Colombia. Yeah. And that's very important to my music would yeah. not be the same. Absolutely. Without all these influences. Yeah. Because, the, you know, even though it's you're per developing personal relations, yeah. that always has some reflection in, in, in the music. Yeah. For example, you're developing perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, for example, when I met the Mexicans, um, music is a very important part of, of their daily lives. Yeah. So, for example, Mexicans, they always listen to music while they do, uh, you know, things at home. Yeah. So they introduced me to the, all these great artists. And, and you can tell, for example, in Latin America, if an artist gets popular in Mexico, yeah, that's success because then through mexico mm -hmm. they get to colombia venezuela uh, peru yeah then united states yeah. all the spanish speakers in the united states and that there's a reason for that and it's just that mexican people are very musical i mean yeah. they're listening to music all the time so i think that's something that um, that we are missing too you know spending yeah. more time just figuring out yeah life i know. i think so too and and i yeah, you're making me think about these things in a new way. I mean, I, f I feel like I I think about this kind of stuff a lot and I feel very puzzled about like creativity and where it mm -hmm. comes from and what does it mean and does ever does do some people just have more of it? You know, I I feel mm -hmm. perplexed by these ideas sometimes. Can everyone be creative? Can everyone be as creative as each other? Mm -hmm. What is it, you know, and and also what is the relationship between creativity and your skill execution? Because mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes there are very creative people who don't have like excellent skills. Yes. And there are people who have excellent skills who aren't very creative. Mm -hmm. And I think that just like for me, I always come back to this idea of just being like curious. like Being curious, absolutely. What are, who are you? And some, some of us, I think, are curious about people. Some of us are curious about shapes. Some mm -hmm. of us are curious about like movement, you know, um, and just taking, like, letting that curiosity take you where you are. I mean, you said, like, you know, I was a little bit lazy, but, like, that is research that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I so probably I was lazy about the technical stuff yeah. that you're talking now, like the skills. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I know that all my life, my career is going to consist in trying to catch up, you know, my, my yeah. skills, put them at the level of my curiosity right because I feel you the know, same way yeah yeah <laughs> try and, to get uh, your skills to match yeah too much because yeah. absolutely like um that's I, why when i, I think went of these successful people that yeah. i know i always come to the conclusion that they are 
the most curious people I know. Yeah. For example, yeah. Ed Sof. Yeah. Do you remember Ed Sof? Of course I do. How could I forget Ed Sof? Right? <laughs> he's, you know, I think he's just a very curious person. Or yeah. John Murphy, you know, yeah. these are some yeah. people that we know that, that you know, John Murphy is super, uh, he, yeah, there is curious nothing. About everything. Yeah. If he learn, if he's exposed to something, he wants to figure out yeah. why or how is that good. Yeah. And, you know, friends that we have like Addison Fry. Yeah. Addison is, you know, I have had so many conversations with him about specific stuff like, hey, so I am now into Hank Jones and we yeah. will talk about Hank Jones for two hours. Yeah. If you're not curious, you cannot hold a conversation right. for two hours. Right. Because he's telling me all these discoveries that he has done. Yeah. So some people might hear Addison Frey and think, oh, he's this natural genius. Yeah. And he is a genius, but the yeah. the reason why he's a genius is because he spends all this time in his, you know, working in his skills yeah. to match all these things that he discovers right. thanks to his curiosity, curiosity. Yes, I think that's true. Yeah. And I think it's, I talk about this with my students and, and also my guests and just I people, we, we, des, we owe it to the geniuses in our lives mm -hmm. to be curious about them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, think like what is going on with like your mind, like, you know, cause it can help give us clues about, yeah. I, I think it can be so easy to write off someone like, mm -hmm. well, we're not the same. You're, you're different. You're ju you're just, you're better at mm -hmm. it. But I think you're right. There's always stuff going on and that, that curiosity is, it's right at the peak of it or right at the front of it. Um, and I think, you know, this society, you know, we live in, I mean, I'm not very happy about how society is moving. Like yeah. it encourages you being lazy yeah. and not thinking about anything. So when there is a genius around you, you know, that's the other side of the coin. They're kind of encouraging you to, to get out of this comfort zone. Hey, yeah. there are so million, you know, millions of things that we need to discover. Yeah. Don't get in that comfortable spot. Yeah. And let's do this. Yeah. Stay uncomfortable. Stay on the edge of your creative comfort zone. I've been talking about that subject a lot lately in, mm -hmm. in the podcast. Uh, yeah, it's it's so true. So you were in Barcelona. Um, is there anything else you want to tell about your time there? Uh, yeah, I would say that, you know, as I said, my personal experience were at least as valuable as the training I got there. Yeah. The training was very good in terms of musicianship, but the kind of jazz that uh, people are into in Barcelona, it's not the traditional jazz that I yeah. that I had a passion for. So the most important thing that happened to me in Barcelona, talking about my career, is that I met uh, Stefan Carlson, yeah. pianist, and Ed Sof, both of them. Mm. And when I heard them the first time, I decided I have to go and study with these people. Yeah. I don't know where they are. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about Texas yeah. at all. Yeah. Other than Chuck Norris <laughs> show, yeah. the Texas Ranger <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So I just heard them and I decided I have to go there because that's the kind of jazz I'm curious about. Yeah. And as, as again, curiosity, right? Yeah. So I wasn't that curious about coming to the States and figuring out culture yeah. and people as it happened to me before with other right. cultures like Mexico or... Well, the United States culture is, it's messy and it's, no, it's I think, not as old. I think it's great, but the yeah. United States culture, it's it's present everywhere because of the movies. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you, you kind of, you can you figure kind of know, it out. You yeah. kind of get it. Yeah. yeah. 
you're, you don't get as curious as with other things that are more, you know, for example, now I am in this, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm in a crush with China. Yeah. Because I have a lot of Chinese students yeah. and I have been going there in the past 10 years. But, the, you know, it's just because when I go there, yeah. everything is so new for, to yeah. me, you know. Yeah. So with the States, that was not the case. But yeah. I came here because I wanted to learn that type that of jazz. Type, yeah. How would you describe it? Just for the well, listeners. Well, you know, I don't want to rate it and say it was better than what yeah. I heard in Barcelona, but it was the kind of jazz that I listened at home. Yeah. So my dad would have the Jazz Messengers, uh, Bill Evans Trio, mm. uh, McCoy yeah. Tyner with John Coltrane. Yeah. So when I heard them... Just a little bit more modern. It, it, maybe? No, more Oppo traditional. Opposite? Yeah. Okay. In yeah. Barcelona, it's more avant-garde and okay. more... Or I think in Barcelona, their models are the current guys in New York. Okay. Like Mark Turner and yeah. Brad Meldau. And, and oh, <laughs> I'm not even saying yeah. current people, I'm saying yeah. <laughs> another yeah. generation. I but know, yeah, that's like, that's not current anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, but more, you know, yeah, closer to yeah. the point we are right now. So like 19, like 1960s. No, I would say Barcelona, they're more into the... No, I mean what you were oh, liking yeah, yes, here. Yes. Yeah. yeah, when I heard Stefan and Edsoff, I was like, yeah, this is the, the kind of jazz that I... Like just a little bit post-bop. Yeah, post-bop, yeah. absolutely. I was like, yeah, I need to figure that out. Yeah. Because, you know, in Barcelona, they would teach me that stuff. You know, we all yeah. know the value, the, the value of that repertoire, yeah. right? But it wasn't as authentic as when mm -hmm. I heard Edsoff, of course. Yeah, yeah. I really like that stuff too. Like that's when I first started listening to jazz, I was, I, my very first records that I loved were like from that same, mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of blue. And mm -hmm. then like the next. Yes. From decade. the, yeah, yeah. From the, the 50, late fifties. Yes. Yeah. Um, so for example, you know, what, what's the difference between the teachers I had in Barcelona and the teachers I had in the States? Well, the teachers in Barcelona are people that had a similar process as I had. People that were interested mm. in jazz and learned it by themselves. Mm. But the teachers I had here, like Ed Sof, they were part of that. Like yeah. Ed Sof right. moved they to New York in here. the yeah, yeah. He moved to New York in the seventies and he played with Bill Evans Trio. Yeah. He played with Joe Henderson. Yeah. So you can as I said before, you can never replace experience. Yeah. So right. it's not the yeah. same, you know. Edsoff has played with Cedar Walton. Yeah. So who is going to tell you more? Right. Who has a clearer picture of how the jazz messengers would sound? Right. Someone that has played with Cedar Walton, you know, or... Yeah. Someone who's been listening. Listening, yes. Yeah. That is, that's really interesting. How old were you when you moved here? I am not sure. I think I was 24. So young. I, when, what year was that? Uh, that was 2008 and I started my master's here. So I already yeah. graduated in Barcelona and I spent yeah. one year, I had some health problems. So I I applied to UNT and I had a, Stefan gave me a teaching uh, fellow position, yeah. but I couldn't come that year because yeah. I, had an, I had an ulcer and it was yeah. a very uh, hard year in my life. So I had to postpone one year yeah. and I thought I would lose the opportunity and everything. Yeah. And Stefan gave that TF position to someone else, I think. But another opportunity opened yeah. up. Stefan came back to Barcelona because he yeah. was teaching there every once, right. once it, a year. With like the was he there with like the Berkeley Valencia program or was no, it something else? It was uh, the school where I studied in Barcelona. It's called the Conservatorio del Liceo. 
okay, in Barcelona. Cool. And they had an exchange program. Okay. Because the teacher I had there studied with Stefan years back in, oh, I see. in Nevada, in Las, Las oh, Vegas. Random, yeah. So th- th- that's my connection with Stefan too. It's just that my teacher in Spain was his former right. student. Okay. So, I remember the semester that you guys came. Because I got to North Texas in 2007. So I was oh, just there okay. one year before you. Yeah. Um, I, I, re- I remember like, because didn't you come in like a little group? Like there were a couple? Yeah, it was yeah. me, Jordi, a drummer, uh, Edis, yeah. a pian- female pianist. Yeah. And Bernard. And then I started br- bringing all these different people. Yeah. Like, I know you were a friend with Marcos. Marcos, yeah. Because I was just telling them, hey guys, yeah, you have you to come, come here. here. Yeah. yeah. So I am the first that studied like a degree. Like I did my master's. All the other guys were uh, part of the exchange program. Yeah. So they would just study here for a semester and that's yeah. it. But then I started telling them. You got to come. Yeah. You, you got to stay. So then more people yeah. came in to do their master's and yeah. stuff. Cool. So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about like your time at North Texas. And the things that I'm most interested in are like what's going on in your creativity and your like artistry. What's difficult for you? What like lessons are you learning? Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the stuff that I'm like most curious about. So at UNT, it happened for the third time. I think, you know, I was getting this amazing education. I yeah. was super interested and I was, you know, I, I mean, I remember my first year at UNT. It's probably one of the happiest years in my life. Yeah. Because my life in Barcelona was starting to get very busy. I was teaching, playing, um, playing in a musical theater. Do you know Mamma Mia? Yeah. That, I was playing yeah. that musical that w- that kills creativity like absolutely yeah. Yeah. every day playing the same <laughs> the thing same over thing. and over. Yeah. I was having nightmares with dialogues from the oh, from the no. playing and everything. <laughs> or, or I would, you know, I would have a nightmare where the main actor was sick or something and I had to replace yeah, you him. You had to sing. Yeah, and I was like, no, this is not my, you know, my job. And so the thing is for the third time I was getting this incredible education, but my creativity started going yeah. down. So I I felt the necessity to to go back to Spain and try to revisit my my project with flamenco jazz yeah. music. So one of the summers, I think after my my first year in in the U.S., I went back to Spain and I said I need to spend some time here and yeah. try to apply the things I have been learning yeah. and make my flamenco jazz project stronger. And that's what happened. And I made a recording called uh, Borrachito that I think it's, I think it was very important because it, thanks to that recording, a lot of people got to to know my music in Spain. Yeah. And it's good for your confidence too. Yes, it was good also because it got acceptance also in the US. You know, my friends and everybody would give me compliments on that. and yeah. And they would probably not give me compliments about my Your, jazz playing, yeah. you know. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. was something that made me realize no matter how much jazz you study, you're never going to be the next Keith Jarrett. Yeah. So you have to find a way yeah. to apply these things to something that is going to be more personal. Yeah. And I that's think. what I have been trying to do. Not with the flamenco necessarily, but yeah, when I write music now, I, I'm trying to find always... Uh, what what is it that I can give to people yeah. that it's not out there yet? Absolutely, it's hard, but it's very but at, hard. At but the same time, though, like it's the really the only option. Like mm-hmm. it's it's difficult, but finding the stories that like only you can tell, or like mm-hmm. the songs that only you can write, 
it is also the easiest thing, you know, like there's, mm -hmm. there's no, um, there's no easier way to like, um, make the things that are going to be your, your best mm -hmm. shot, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's hard, but it's also, the hard thing is learning to like tr trust it, I mm -hmm. think. To trust it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, but, but you're right. When you say hard. it's the easiest thing, it's because what what else can you do? Exactly. I mean, like there are no other options. You're yeah. not gonna be. Yeah. You know. It's 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 hard, but it's it is the it's the only option. Mm -hmm. It's just it's what has to happen, unless you just try to copy and copy and copy and, mm -hmm. um, and then you know you might get praise for the technical ability, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. It's not as meaningful. I think that's true. Because they are always going to find someone that has better technical yeah. abilities. And so you went back for a year and were working on your flamenco project. And then when you came back, you felt maybe more um, like you had a, more of a place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Not, not that I went for a year. I went oh. to Spain for a summer maybe, but I came back to UNT and my experience started getting better yeah. again. And then I stayed there. I did my finish my master's and stayed there for my doctorate. And I realized during that time that I enjoyed being a teacher as mu at least yeah. as much as a performer. Yeah, me too. So I, th I think I have been now uh, nurturing my teaching more than my performance. Yeah. It's hard. I try to balance both. But yeah. um, I found also that teaching is very related to creativity. I think so too. And yeah. What do you like? Do you want to tell me about it? Well, some people think that teaching is this routinary thing that you always tell the same thing to everybody. Yeah. And I find that a big lie. Like, yeah. no. Like, because everyone is different. Everyone is different. Yeah. And also you can teach in a different way always. And I, you know, I have this semester in specific, I have 17 students. And sometimes I assign them the same things. Yeah. And then that proves that even the same subject. Right can lead into different findings with different people yeah it hits different people in totally different ways mm -hmm. i i get i have the same so i i don't teach at a university anymore i just teach in my private studio um and it's important to me to have some structure so i do and most of my students are not jazz students they just they love pop so it's important to me to build some structure and the way that i do it is like i divide the calendar year into six uh, studies and we study like kind of based on genre but more based on like skills mm -hmm. so like in the summer we study Broadway music and we're really studying like storytelling and like really mm -hmm. you know like um, like acting and kind of lyric delivery which applies to every genre so mm -hmm. but it's kind of at the front of Broadway and then in the fall we do songwriting um, which is usually they choose pop, you know, but it's, we, we work on songwriting and then we work on arranging and then we do jazz and then we do like cover band, you know, mm -hmm. like where we're really talking about like performing and like presence. Mm -hmm. So I find that I, I really like the experience of watching my students who are all different ages, like some little kids, some like retired people. Mm -hmm. Um, they're all working on the same type of project. Mm -hmm. But it is dramatically different. Mm -hmm. Each person is like totally different things are, are easy for different people, mm -hmm. terrifying for different people. Um, 
you know, different students will get like, they are so comfortable in a certain project. And then in, you know, the next project, they're very uncomfortable. It's, I like it so much. Mm -hmm. I feel like the same way that I feel when I'm composing, I feel about, um, like trying to create, um, this learning, like mm -hmm. the, like these lessons with my students. It, it's like it's the same yeah, mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, yeah, like composing. You don't write the same song twice, right? Yeah. So some jazz, you know, professors, and I'm not criticizing them. Everybody does what they think it works the best. But yeah. some professors develop a method. Yeah. And I would never be able to do that. Yeah. Because I, I am the first person that I want to change it. And it yeah. constantly evolves. And, yeah. and I thought seven years ago I had a pretty good method or whatever. And then... Yeah. I keep changing my mind because yeah. I keep studying. You learn. Yeah. yeah. I learn about different things and then I know maybe I wasn't right about this. Let me yeah. find another way to explain this or that. So, yeah, you know, and also you're, I mean, I feel like it's like when you're a teacher, you're being more generous. You're still being creative, but you're being generous because you might, you're not signing the work of art. Right. But you're helping people yeah. to do their own. Right. And I feel part of that. Yeah. I feel pretty proud of that too. Yeah. And I am happy and I don't need the credits for anything. Yeah. You know, so I feel the same way. There's it's a it's such there's nothing more um there's nothing more exciting than like watching someone else like mm -hmm. tap into their creativity. Mm -hmm. It is it is such an honor to be in the room. While uh -huh. that, while someone else is experiencing that, yeah, that will stay with you, yeah, forever. I think. Yeah, and you know, performing gives me, you know, a lot of pleasure. I like, for example, when you're in a big theater with dark lights and everything. That's one of my favorite yeah. moments. I feel like I can do anything. I can yeah. be anybody in my yeah. mind. It's it's amazing. But um, that's a very short moment compared to all the things you have to go through right and when you're teaching you can have a full day of you know feeling useful feeling yeah. feeling necessary yeah and it's very fulfilling yeah it, it has more continuity than performing yeah performing you know the the proportion is for every hour of uh fulfilled time or whatever yeah. you need I don't know, 100 yeah. Oh, <laughs> hours yeah. of suffering yeah. and, you know, <laughs> practicing and, and insecurities, yeah. etc. Yeah. And when you teach, it's not that much. It's That's so true. I feel the same way about it. I like teaching and it feels, it feels like it gives back to my creativity mm -hmm. tenfold. Like just, it's easy. It just comes back. Um, okay, let's, let's talk about... Um, Let's get into this, some of this like identity stuff that I like to end with. Um, you know, I, I wrestle with like how to ask these questions because it's so different for everybody. But let's start with just like, can you talk about how your identity informs your art and whatever that means for you and how your art informs your identity? Um, can can you I, elaborate more on the questions? I mean, just... well, like I said, I don't know how to ask these questions because it's so different for everybody. But so maybe I'll maybe I'll try this instead. So, um, the podcast is called Artifice, which like I I just believe that as artists, like 
whether or not we mean to, there's always like, there's, there's what's out in front. There's what's people see, like kind of what we were talking before with like, when you look at someone that you think is a genius, Mm -hmm. that's, they, that's not their fault that you think that Mm -hmm. that's just what you see. And that's what you think. And then what's going on underneath. So I want to talk to artists about what that is. Like, what is it for you? Um, and I'm also interested in the relationship between like yourself and the art you make. Cause some people, I feel like their art is always a reflection of themselves. I think for some people they're trying to make art to explore something brand new. Mm-hmm. So I just, I mean, I don't know. I don't know like what the right question is for like whatever your version of that stuff is. Well, um, you know, you, you, you talk about, um, imagination and I think that's the, the key word when I talk about my identity. Yeah. Like since I was a kid, I have been always, uh, I don't know. Imagination is one of the things that that give me the most peace. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, I was just, you know, daydreaming yeah. all the all the time, and that's still what I do. Yeah. So the art is the only thing in the world that helps me translating my imagination yeah. into something real. Yeah. That I can share. So. Whenever I do an album or or a recording or a concert or whatever, I am just trying to fulfill that imagination. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, there are different projects and different things that, that, that I do. Sometimes I just play a solo piano gig. Yeah. And that's not that creative or whatever. I just yeah. played last night a solo piano gig from 10 to 12.30 in a small restaurant for some people that were drinking and having yeah. a good time. So is that art? Is that fulfilling my imagination? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because yeah. when I am listening to music, I listen to all these different people like Art Tatum or Hank Jones or McCoy Tyner. And just, su- you know, the same way as when you're a kid and you play soccer, that soccer is the yeah. the sp- you know, national sport in Spain. Yeah. When you play soccer, you are not just thinking, oh, I am Sergio Pamias playing soccer. No. Yeah. When you're a kid, you think, I am Leo Messi, which is like the right. most famous soccer player, right? Yeah. And you want to be, you know, you're playing basketball in the street with your friends and you want to be Kobe Bryant or whatever. Yeah. So when I play music, when I think of music, that, you know, that, that children game is still happening. Yeah. I play solo piano and I think, oh, I can be Art mm-hmm. Tatum now. Yeah. Although I am not even close. And that's kind of fun when you're playing in a, like a restaurant, when you're not performing for other musicians. Mm-hmm. You can really pretend, like you can daydream extra. Yes. I totally feel like that. And you're not exposed because people are not there to listen to you. Yeah, it's just your private yeah. imagination time. Yeah. I yeah. totally do the same it's thing. It's a game. It's yeah. a game. Yeah. So then when I do um, a project that it's going to be you know, exposed, like, okay, now this is going to be an album on my name. Then I'm trying to fulfill another aspect of that imagination. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you know, this is the picture that I see. Yeah. Now I have to make that real. Translate into music, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I love this. So for you, like, there's this thing, you know, and um, you even... uh, when you're thinking about your imagination, you put, you know, I don't just mean you, but like we as humans, we put our hand like mm-hmm. it's up here. It's above yeah, on my it's head. It's above, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, it's not you. It's not because, you know, people sometimes will put their hand like on their heart, like when they're talking about art. You know, when you're talking about your imagination, 
your hand is like up here in the air, yes. kind of like above your head, yes. a little ahead of your head, a little in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Um, this thing might be you. This thing might be something else. It's yeah, not it's much bigger than me. I, right. I am very humble when I imagine these things or art. I'm yeah. very humble about art. It's yeah. not about me. Yeah. You know what I am. It's gonna. It's gonna come out as well yeah because it's the only way i can do it yeah that's what i was about to ask like so when i say it's about you i don't mean it's about you i mean like the imagine you might be Mm -hmm. part of the story Mm -hmm. you might not be part of the story it might be a story about other people Mm -hmm. it might not be a story at all it might just be a picture Mm -hmm. it might be you know so the imagination's here so i think maybe my question is um how are you related to it like how how do you see yourself as being you feel like it starts with the idea and then it moves through you into the into the project? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's how, you know, that's how poets think about poetry too. Yeah. They think they're not creating the poetry. Right. Poetry, is the, it's there. It exists. And they just have to capture. It's like a picture too. Yeah. But like if you're a photographer, it's not about you. It right. cannot be about you. Right. Because you're just capturing something that already exists, right? right? Yeah. So I think for me, the creative process or the art process, it's it's the same. Yeah. I don't want credit for that. I don't think that's, yeah. you know, I created anything. It's yeah. just that I somehow put these pieces together. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it satisfies me. Yeah. And when it satisfies you, it might satisfy someone else. If yeah. you do some stuff because you think it's cool, but you're not sure yeah. about it, yeah. I don't think it's going to have an impact on I anybody. Think that's really true. Um so when you have an idea or like when this kind of story like comes to you or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, after you make it, like after it's, it's finished, mm-hmm. do you feel like that changes who you are? Yeah, because then you start performing that music and sometimes you have yeah. to practice it and everything. It's not yeah. something that you... Yeah. And then totally. it teaches you. Yeah. It teaches you amazingly it's yeah. it's it's crazy for example sometimes I, I i'm not a big um a big fan of the the new modern jazz with odd meters and all that yeah but sometimes i have written some music that has some of that yeah and thanks to that i get stronger at, at playing odd right. meters and all that because i have to do it to play my own song i, do, I also frequently write things that are hard for me to perform yeah yeah, and I and think then I'm like, darn it! Why did this is really a challenge for my voice? And <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that that happened with everybody. For example, Rachmaninoff or Liszt, Franz Liszt. Yeah. You know that they have all yeah. these crazy things. I'm sure that they, at some point, they forced themselves to yeah. write this stuff that was challenging yeah. for them. Yeah. And then they <laughs> look at their contributions. They just improved everybody's techniques. Right. Yeah. You know, after that. That's ex- that's an exciting thought. I think I just I. Um, or John I'm Coltrane, sorry. Yeah. I no, no, that's okay. I'm think thinking about John too. Coltrane, you yeah. know. He forced himself to write giant steps and all these right. crazy things. It's like a study. Yeah, like a, you know, because they wanted to expand their vocabulary and yeah. they wanted to... It's curious. ...to find some limits, you know, yeah. boundary, cross some boundaries. Yeah. And then not only they achieved that, but they helped the entire world right. after them... Everything. ...to just, do the same. Yeah. It's really interesting. And yeah, just kind of following their curiosity, what sounds challenging to me? What could I work on? I think I want to ask, where where do you feel like your ideas come from? Like, I know you said they're, they're not coming from you. Um, but like, 
do you have any sort of theories about like um how you choose like which ideas i think they're in the subconscious yeah. because i have been listening to many different music yeah. types of music from a young age but i also i like the i'm a romantic romantic in yeah. the not in the cheesy way yeah. valentine's day no in the way you know in the yeah. historical right. definition yeah. a romantic is someone who idealizes and yeah all that. i am that kind of person as well yeah <laughs> i am i am a romantic and i for example now i have a kid and yeah. he's one month old you just had a baby yeah and i look at him yeah. and i see all this it's a mystery i see his mom yeah but I see myself too. Yeah. I can see my dad. Sometimes I can see my mom. I can see my granddad. Yeah. So I think with, with the artist, there's that mystery yeah. too. Like there are some things that happen. Yeah. I don't know. I it's, think it's magical. It, it's magical for me. Like sometimes there are some influences that I don't even know yeah. where I got them. And I think this is, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, for example, sometimes it can start with a title. Yeah. Like there are times that I write music and I don't even know what kind of music I'm going to write, but yeah. I have an idea of I want to write a song and dedicate this to a certain person. Yeah. And that kind of helps you yeah. and brings you to places. It's kind of it's it's unbelievable. Maybe that person is helping you. Yeah. I I think I'm similar to that like uh, when I'm writing something, I also have a very, it feels like a very mysterious process to me. Mm -hmm. I have an idea. I, I, I've, I think this is why I like to talk about these things because some artists feel like the idea, like it, they feel like their art, you know, I, I talk to artists sometimes who are like very shy and they feel like art is the way that they, like they're not good with words, but they, but they create visual art or something. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like that. Um, and, and also I feel like my art is rarely autobiographical. And even if I feel like I'm telling a, a story about something about my experience, it feels kind of bigger than that to me. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm really, t I really am wanting to write about this type of emotion or something mm -hmm. or this type of a feeling. Mm -hmm. But I like to think about like the relationship. Because it, it does come from you. It comes from your fingers. Mm -hmm. You know, like it, eventually like you take it into the studio. You mm -hmm. are part of it. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder sometimes like these ideas, like if they're related to people that you know or they're, they're kind of like they're in the subconscious, mm -hmm. then in that case, sometimes I wonder if making the art is like allowing you to like take this thing and process it and then it's not in your subconscious then it's you know mm -hmm. like then it's informing your identity back where i think mm -hmm. some people they're processing and they're processing and they're processing and then they're like it's ready here it is and then i feel like i do it the opposite way yeah, like too. it's out here and then it's processing me and too. then it's out and, and even you know you said something very interesting even when it's something autobiographical the types of feelings that you can experience or I can experience, you know, I'm sorry, we are not that special. They're very limited. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's there has been people before and there will be people in the future that will have the same type of feeling. Yeah. So if you write about that type of feeling, yeah. people can relate to it. That's what I think. And yeah. that's when, when the art starts, you know, getting, you know, bigger and it bigger, when expand. you can share it. Yeah. yeah. That's what I always tell my students. The range of human experiences 
pretty infinite, but the range of human emotion is very small. Mm-hmm. We And we as adults, we have the same emotions that little, little kids have, mm-hmm. just about different stuff. So, yeah. you know, if we're trying to understand someone else's experience, that can get very tricky. Mm-hmm. But if we're trying to understand someone else's emotional experience, mm-hmm. it can be very simple. You just have to find that one point where like you feel that same thing. Plus, you know, we can never control how your art is going to be interpreted. Right. Right. So, for example, you know, there are some movie directors or whatever that, you know, now they have these behind the scenes or whatever and yeah. the director is explaining you, well, with this scene we wanted to create yeah. the feeling of blah 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 and you go like, well, that's totally that's different. Not what of, I, yeah. Yeah, what I experienced, right? Yeah. That happens with music sometimes. You know, there are writers that they write about a certain thing and people, when they are listening, they have this necessity. Yeah. When you listen to a song, you have this necessity to relate it to your own life. Right. So sometimes you even change the meaning. Totally. And I love it. I think yeah, that's great. I love great. that too, yeah. And, and, and I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. So, I like to talk about what it meant to me mm-hmm. because I like the idea that someone else is going like, really? You know, mm-hmm. like, I just, I'm fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. Like, I made it, like, you know, I, I wrote these lyrics, like, whether or not I feel like they came from me, like, mm-hmm. they literally came out of my fingertips on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I wrote these notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like this is what I think this story means. But like, it's now that it's out, like it, it can be whatever it wants to be for yeah. you. Yeah, I, I love hearing artists talk about their work because I like having that experience of like... Yeah, and comparing. Oh, wow. Yeah. like There, there is a song that it, it was, you know, it's very important in my developing career because I, th- I thought that's one of the first times that I heard something current. Yeah. You know, not like, you know, all the art... You know, the masterpieces that I know have been done in the past. Yeah. Like Miles Davis or whatever. Yeah. But there's this uh, songwriter in Spain called Alejandro Sanz. And I think he's a he's unbelievable. He's he's crazy because he has really good skills at writing, also singing, and also, you know, in terms of creating melodies and, yeah. and, and harmonies. He has everything. Yeah. So he wrote a song that you know, years after I realized it was about a blind person mm. that falls in love with this woman. Yeah. And I, you know, when I was a teenager and I heard that song at the beginning, I am not a blind person, right? Yeah. So I didn't want to relate that. Yeah. And I didn't even discover that part of the song. Yeah. I could take the metaphors and apply them to my experience. Yeah. And then when I realized that song was talking about someone blind, that's when I discovered this is magical. Yeah. And then I read years after, and I am not sure about this source. I'm not sure if the composer really told this story or, yeah. or if this is something someone created and, yeah. and put it on the internet. But I read that it was that um, he was visiting a hospital or something like that or, or a nurse home or something yeah. like that. And there was this blind person that um, a nurse, a female nurse, would take him and walk with him to the park and they would sit down on the sunset. Yeah. And this nurse was explaining him what the yeah. sunset was. Yeah. And then this, you know, um, I don't remember exactly how the story goes, but 
but they don't, you know, at some point the nurse stopped going there. She was probably yeah. an intern or something like yeah. that. And the guy was completely yeah. desperate, you know, yeah. because he, in, in a way, he lost his eyes. His, yeah, totally. And then this guy did a song about that. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the real story, yeah. but even if it's not the real story, yeah. when you hear the song and think about that story, yeah. it's just so magical, you know? Yeah. So again, you never know what's going to, how your music yeah. is going to be interpret or, or yeah. how they're gonna how it relates yeah yeah, yeah. that's important mm-hmm. i i like that i like to think about it too um is there anything else that you want to say about like you know the nature of art the nature of creativity like any other thoughts while well, you've got this you got a microphone in your hand <laughs> <laughs> well um yeah and you know i i would just say that you know sometimes we 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 always think that whatever um, an artist does, it's autobiographical or yeah. based. But I think it's it has to be bigger than that. Uh, for example, there, you know, I remember a time in my life I never liked dancing when I was young. I, yeah. I you know, it, it terrified me. I'm yeah. not good at moving my my body or whatever. And then when I started meeting people from Latin America, yeah, I noticed how their culture encourages them to dance. Yeah. And they are never scared of dancing. I know, it's so cool. And, and then I, I learned that and I started too. dancing myself. Yeah. Like dancing salsa, very, you know, yeah. on a very, you know, like amateur, uh, just rudimentary you know, level. Yeah. <laughs> and I experienced the joy of that. Yeah. So I remember when, I, when that started happening, you know, I wrote a song one time about people dancing together, not like a salsa or whatever, but, but, um, bolero which is yeah. like a ballad yeah and how you can you can f- fall in love with that person mm-hmm. without even nothing else yeah. yeah like you probably know this person forever you never develop any yeah. kind sort of attraction and then you dance and mm-hmm. and you can fall in love yeah. now did that happen to me no i don't think so it's yeah. just that I experienced dancing somehow. Yeah. The power of dancing, the yeah. connection that you can develop with with some person. And then I thought about that story and I wrote this song. So it yeah. doesn't really have to be totally, yeah. Like a totally true or whatever, but there is something personal, of course. There is right. some kind of experience that generates Yeah. It's like the the combustion if that right. like yeah, I think so. Your your cat um your perspective is on that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. And one thing I think like authors, uh, novelists, short story writers, they write things that are not autobiographical all the time. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I think musicians get this idea, especially singers. That it has to, that or it singers, needs to be. Especially singers and writers. It's kind of yeah. like they're expected to. And no, they can do. Yeah, it's you can imagination. Tell whatever story you yeah, want. Yeah, you can do whatever you yeah. want. It's the only place where you can literally decide what's gonna yeah who's the bad guy and who's the yeah any story the hero. and the fact that you're singing it because i think i mean the, the the difference is it's coming out of your mouth when you're singing it so people think well this is your story but i i agree with you it's that it, it can be like such a beautiful like when you're playing a solo piano gig mm-hmm. like i can tell this story even though it's not it has nothing to do with me but mm-hmm. i'm gonna try to get into that perspective mm-hmm. and it's it's a special thing that happens. Yeah, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that my my uncle is a writer and he writes short stories. So in his last 
his last book is, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, I would say, 90% autobiographical. Like wow. the short stories that he's writing, I mean, I it's my family. Yeah, I know they are true. You know it is, yeah. But for the reader that doesn't know my family, it yeah. doesn't really matter. It's just the way right. he delivers the stories and the way he makes something completely... Um, normal yeah. he makes it special so i think for the reader the beauty is to realize that we are all special and whatever happens in your life even, even though you might think it's not anything supernatural yeah. it has some beauty yeah someone yeah. could tell that yeah and 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 make it something beautiful yeah that's a lovely thought to end on <laughs> so i always ask everybody at the very end today what's your dream collaboration or your dream project. But I really like to ask people what their what's their dream collaboration. Like if I could pick anybody. Yeah. And it could also be, yeah, it, people who are dead, people, mm -hmm. anything you want. Or mixed media, anything. Wow, that's, that's deep. I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to divide the question into the artistic side and also the... the the craft side. Great. On the craft side, you know, he's probably not the person I have listened more yeah. in, in jazz history, Charlie Parker. Yeah. But I, I totally see, you know, how important his contribution was. Yeah. So sometimes I find myself, you know, playing with students along his recordings. Yeah. And I really love that type of music, bebop, that yeah. language. So on the craft side, I would have loved to play with Charlie Parker. Yeah. Because I think I could do a good, a decent job. Yeah. I could have been Charlie Parker's <laughs> yeah. pianist, you know? That's a, what a lovely thought. So I think, you know, for example, back then, maybe my creativity or my skills would not have been, you know, to the point to play with Charlie Parker because these people were creating and they yeah. were creating a new language. Yeah. They were amazing. Yeah. But now we can study them. And, yeah. and I think I could be a bebop piano player. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, on the craft side, I would have loved that. Now, on the artistic side, I cannot answer, I cannot just pick one person because yeah. there are pick, so many. You can pick as many as you want. It's a collaboration. You okay. can assemble a whole team. <laughs> well, I don't really know. I. Where there there is a singer in Spain that is super famous. It's probably the most famous flamenco singer. His name is Camarón de la Isla. And I think si since I am a jazz musician, yeah. I think I would have loved to collaborate with him because they were all these people. They were always super open to experiment. Yeah. yeah. And I can you know I can imagine like what would have happened if I would have had the chance. Yeah. With the knowledge I have now. Yeah. The chance to collaborate with him when he was younger, not yeah. not when he was already, yeah. you know, yeah. a famous figure, but when he was was younger, that I think he would have been open to experiment yeah. and all that. That's so that would be one of them. And then I don't know, someone I would love to meet is Woody Allen. I don't know, like being yeah. in a Woody Allen movie. <laughs> yeah. I would have, I would love to be an actor, yeah. even though I have no clue on how yeah. to act. I would love the challenge. Yeah, you know, to be directed by Woody. yeah <laughs> I, I think, think it has to be crazy i think that's a great that's that's the perfect kind of answer it's like that's the it tells uh it tells me a lot about 
your curiosity, like I would love to be directed by this person. Yeah, like, yeah, that's just absolutely. an interesting, I mean, yeah. And also, you know, that also tells that I am not obsessed with credit. Some people are obsessed yeah. like, oh, if I can collaborate with, you know, you're yeah. giving me the option to yeah. try to do whatever. And I don't even want to be the main guy. Yeah, I want to be just, just work with you him. You want to be there when they were figuring things out. Yeah, and yeah. I want, you know, I just want to work with him and, and yeah. I, I want to, I would, something I would like to experience is what do actors feel when they watch the movie for the first time? Yeah. Because they are not involved in that yeah. process. They're, can, they're doing the, you know, the acting, yeah. but then there are so many other. So many edits. I've edits. interviewed several actors who say it's just, the acting is just, it's not even related to the movie. It's like, it's just a totally separate thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, think I can that see that. A yeah, bizarre yeah. experience. And we as musicians, we like micromanage like every piece of our projects. You know, that <laughs> I I think, for example, I'm I'm a producer too. I like to to help other artists to do their albums. Yeah. So sometimes I help them with arrangements. Sometimes I'm more involved in the recording process and mixing. Yeah. And I like to, if I am part of an album, I want to be part of everything. Yeah. Because I have... I have had some really bad experiences with um, writing an arrangement and not being part of the mix, mm. and then they mix it wrong. Yeah, and, and you're that's like, the but that wasn't what we're supposed to hear. Yes, yeah. it's so frustrating. Or when they perform it wrong. Yeah, that whenever I am involved in a project in a deep way, yeah. I want to be part of all of it. Yeah, I feel. The and same if way. not, it's just so frustrating. So I think for, you know, for the movie actors and all that, yeah. it's like, it I think the hard. comparison would be when someone calls you in the studio and you record a piano part and then you don't even know what instruments yeah. are they overdubbing. Yeah. And then you listen to the final thing and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know this was going to turn yeah, into that. Yeah, I had no context. Yeah, I yeah. think probably they definitely feel that way sometimes. But I think that's why some, why actors eventually often find a director that they like to work with who they mm -hmm. trust yeah because then know they know like good. i can trust i can trust what you're gonna do mm -hmm. yeah i just want to say um before we close i remember there was a semester that i was taking a class that you were teaching i think and forum, maybe? it was probably forum yeah. yeah and you were teaching everybody how to clap and do like a the right oh, really? flamenco <laughs> clap and uh i still think about that like I think about that like at least a few times a year. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I like talk about it with my students sometimes. Like you got to get the like air pocket. Uh -huh. So anyway, I just want to tell you like that's a thing that I remember. And like I, I think about it still. I feel like my friend Sergio taught me this is how you do <laughs> the right clapping. Nice. Um, the very last thing that I always ask everybody is to tell us where to find you on the Internet. Where can people listen to your music and find, you know, get to know you better? Yes, uh, you know, so I'm going to start with Apple Music because that's what I use the most these days. So you can find me uh, on Apple Music and I, uh, iTunes and Spotify and all yeah. these platforms. And I think that's what I would do. Yeah, just, just listen look, to my music yeah, and that's it. Music. Don't even look at my picture <laughs> because I think music has to be yeah. like that. So I also have a website. I think now it's it's down because I yeah. you know I, I I'm not great at maintenance. Yeah, it's hard. But uh, I have a website. But yeah, I don't like websites because it's always you know pictures, yeah. bio. It's just no. Yeah. I'm a musician. Yeah, you should just listen. Listen to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
then I'm, I'm a faculty at, at University of uh, Texas in Arlington. So you can also find my my faculty profile if, if people are interested about that side, you know, my teaching and all that. Okay, great. Thank you so much for talking Thank to you, me. Emily. It was so lovely. Thank you very much. It has been great to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.